Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. This is Dr. Dan. We have all heard of Cleopatra, Queen of Denial. Appropriately for today's times, Cleopatra lived in what is now the Middle East, That region is the source of the single most serious and dangerous challenge to Western civilization and individual freedom in our world today. And denial best describes the mindset of the majority of our fellow citizens. Whether it is willful denial or denial from ignorance, it amounts to the same thing. Muslim immigrants constitute a modern version of the Trojan horse, designed to infiltrate our nation and destroy it from the inside by supplanting our Constitution and the rule of law it mandates with Sharia law. Now, make no mistake about it. The stated goal of fundamental Islam is to impose Sharia law on every single inhabitant on planet Earth by force or by stealth. And furthermore, Sharia law is completely incompatible with our Constitution. My guest on Freedom Forum Radio is Leo Homan, a veteran journalist and news editor of the online news giant WorldNet Daily. His primary focus is on immigration and Islam, and his new book is titled Stealth Invasion, Muslim Conquest Through Immigration and Resettlement Jihad. Leo Holman, welcome to Freedom Forum Radio. Thanks for having me here today, Dr. Dan. Well, it's a pleasure to have you, Leo Holman. Uh, This is a subject of critical importance. So let's break it down and kind of start at the beginning. Let's talk about U.S. immigration. I understand that the numbers are truly staggering. Uh, Yes, they are, Dr. Dan. Uh, In my book, I kind of start with the... uh, trend in this direction back in 1965 when we passed, uh, Congress passed the Immigration and Naturalization Act of 1965. And what they did, uh, it was brought in under uh, a lot of false pretenses. It was pushed by Teddy Kennedy and some other liberal senators, but uh, the uh, uh, Republicans also jumped on board, believing many of the lies that were told about this piece of legislation, that it would not lead to a million new immigrants every year. It would not transform our cities it, uh, with with a lot of welfare recipients moving in. Uh, you know, it would not drastically change the ethnic mix of America. 
And almost everything that they said it would not do, that Teddy Kennedy and his allies said it would not do, uh, we can see in retrospect that it has done. Uh, we're now up to 1.1 to 1.3 million legal immigrants coming in every year. Uh, and we are now at about 44 million foreign-born uh, uh immigrants living in the United States were close to reaching a uh, record set back in the 20s as far as percentage of the total population that is foreign-born. Um, and it's just out of control. We're issuing visas, hand over fist, rubber stamping, so many of them in so many different areas. We have fiancé visas. We have uh, we have entrepreneurial visas, we have student visas, we have religious visas. Eighty-five uh, percent of the imams in this country are foreign-born, coming here from radical Islamic uh, uh, universities like Al-Azra in Cairo, Egypt, to uh, preach their radicalism to our Muslims here in America. Uh, and uh, there's very little oversight going on. Uh, the jihadist, as you recall, in San Bernardino had no problem, Mr. Saeed Farouk, he had no problem getting his fiancée here from Saudi Arabia, uh, had her passport photo in a hijab. She'd been to, she's from Pakistan, had come through Saudi Arabia, all kinds of red flags. No problem, rubber stamp it. And uh, then we look at the refugee program, which has been growing and growing, not only in total numbers, but in the mix, the ratio of refugees coming from uh, terrorist harboring countries in the Middle East and North Africa. Uh, under President Obama, his last full year in office, we brought in 85,000 refugees, and just under half of them came from these terrorist harboring countries. You know, uh, so this is what we're up against, Dr. Dan. Well, Leo Homan, let's go back to to the beginning of this of your of your statement here in terms of the immigration. There was there was a time on, with when Ted Kennedy was in power and his liberal friends that there was a a big change in the way we handled immigration. What do you th what was their purpose in doing that? Absolutely. Uh in the numbers and in the content uh, uh, in the and what we expected of people once they got here see that's not the the fact that we're bringing in record numbers is 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 in my estimation uh it is out of control but but an even bigger problem dr dan is where they're coming from and what we expect of them once they get here uh when our forefathers came uh mine came in the 1920s from Italy and Germany. Uh, they were expected to learn the language. They were expected to provide for themselves financially. Uh, if they didn't have a job lined up, then they had to have a family that would spo a family member who would sponsor them. There was no government welfare uh, waved in front of my in the front of the faces of my uh, ancestors when they came here. They had to work hard for a living with very little education and had to learn the language as quickly as possible. Uh, that's the opposite. That is the very opposite uh, policy of what we have going on today with our immigration system. We have Somali communities living in Minneapolis 
Dr. Dan, uh, that are very active politically. They've taken over the entire sixth ward in the city of Minneapolis. Uh, there was almost, I think, every candidate right now for the city council seat in the sixth ward is a Somali, Muslim Somali uh, refugee or son of a refugee. And uh, they recently had a caucus meeting last month, this sixth ward uh, in Minneapolis, and we had a video of it. There was no English being spoken at the entire caucus. It was all in the Somali language. And uh, it's just astounding to see this going on. Uh, we've, we've seen this uh, in the school system. The fastest-growing language nationwide in our public schools is Arabic. You know, uh, you know and it, so we not only don't expect them to learn the language, we also don't expect them to fit into our social norms. We see uh, women in hijabs and burqas suing their employers, suing universities, suing police departments. Uh, I don't think my forefathers would have gotten away with that in the 1920s. I think they would have been laughed out of court. But they're not only filing lawsuits, they're winning them, uh, allowing them to wear Islamic uh, clothing and wardrobe in the workplace, in the classroom, in the jail in all sorts of places uh, where it should not normally be allowed. One example, University of Kansas recently opened a separate lunchroom for their female Muslim students so that they could eat lunch with their, uh, without having the veil on. Uh, they come to school in full burqa, only their eyes showing, and you can imagine how uh, awkward it would be to sit in a lunchroom full of uh, men and women, and have to put the food, slither it up underneath the veil, it could be a little messy. So instead of requiring them to uh, fix that problem themselves, what did the University of Kansas did they do? They open a separate lunchroom so that the female Muslims can go and eat with no men in, in the lunchroom uh, and take off their burqa and eat uh, without those problems. So... Um, you know, it just goes on from there. We've we've got separate Muslim prayer rooms in high schools. We've got uh, all sorts of uh, ritual foot baths in the universities. I don't think that uh, that would have happened 50 years ago. Leo Holman, you, you raise what I think is probably the most critical point, and that is my grandparents were also legal immigrants to this country around 1900. And when they came here, they the first thing they did was enroll in night school to learn how to speak English. They were taught about our Constitution. They were taught about our laws. In order to become a citizen, they had to be able to answer questions about the history of the United States. They had to say the Pledge of Allegiance. And in that Pledge of Allegiance, they are pledging allegiance to our nation, our republic. And also they're saying, I am accepting the Constitution of the United States as my guiding law. And that's where that term, the melting pot, came in, because they came here not expecting to be German-Americans or Russian-Americans or Italian-Americans or whatever. They came here, my grandparents, and I know this because they told me this, they said, I came here to be an American, period. 
no other kind right. of person. I came here to be an American and to be part of the melting pot. And what we meant by the melting pot was very simple. We all came in, and while the individual identities in the melting pot flavored the whole, it was not possible to tell one piece from the other because it was a melting pot, a fondue pot where all the different cheeses of different flavors came together to make the American flavor. I'm talking with Leo Homan of World Net Daily who's written an incredible book uh, called Stealth Invasion, Muslim Conquest Through Immigration and Resettlement Jihad. But that's the point, Leo Homan, is our, our forefathers, our grandparents came here with the expectation of living here as Americans, speaking English and abiding by our laws and accepting them. That's not what the Muslim immigrants are doing. No, they're not. Uh, and part of it uh, does involve what Muslims believe, at least, you know, Sharia-adherent Muslims. I'm in no way uh, uh, into blasting the Muslim people as a whole, because I do believe in the individual still in this uh, great country of ours, and everybody has a choice, Dr. Dan. Uh but what, what I do have a beef with is the Sharia-compliant Muslim. And this is what it's all about, Sharia law. That is, as you said earlier uh, in introducing me, is what does not, uh, does not bode very well for our country if uh, the numbers keep growing of Sharia-compliant Muslims, those who believe that their system of law... And, and Islam, by the way, is not just a religion. It's an entire system, it's an entire legal system. And uh, so it is the Muslims who believe in the legal aspect of Islam that concerns us. Uh, how someone worships is up to them. That is uh, uh, bedrock freedom of America, freedom of religion, and freedom to worship as one pleases. But uh, it is not in your right or um, in the Bill of Rights to espouse a, a competing legal system, whether it be Sharia or any other system, that would uh, compete with the Constitution of this country. And that is what concerns us. Uh, and part of uh, the belief system that uh, I report on in the book, Dr. Dan, is the concept of the hijra, which is an Arabic term meaning the migration, or to move, to leave one's homeland for another and uh, there's various different types of hijra. Uh, like many of the concepts, it can be spiritualized, and you'll hear uh, when the imams try to talk to non-Muslims, and perhaps some Muslims uh, as well, they'll talk about the spiritual hijra, which is to leave sin and move on in your faith with Allah. Uh, and, and that, of course, is something that we could relate to as Christians, uh, but there's other t the, the, there's the physical hijra as well, and that's the type they don't want to talk about. And uh, it is modeled after the life of Muhammad himself, the prophet who founded Islam. He uh, migrated, he left his homeland of Mecca and, uh, and went to Medina. And that was when he found very much more success in, in establishing his new religion. He was not well received in his hometown. Uh, but when he moved to Medina, he started uh, gathering more converts, 
preaching first, uh, you know, uh, in the marketplace of ideas, and uh, eventually, as he got more followers, he became more violent, started raiding surrounding Jewish villages, capturing women, plundering their wealth, and eventually he uh, got so strong that he was able to go back to Mecca and make war in that area and conquer all of Arabia. And so because the Hijra was so successful for Muhammad, it has continued as a model uh, for Islam to this day. And uh, so we have many Muslims who uh, may want to come here for a better economic opportunity, uh, but there's others who may want to come here to spread Islam in the Hijra, in the belief in Hijra, uh, which is second only to jihad in the favor it will gain one uh, in the afterlife. And so if one dies uh, while on Hijra in a foreign land that is not Islamic uh, and is moved there to spread Islam, uh, then he can assume that he will be welcomed into the heavenly realm, uh, second only to somebody who has died in jihad. And so this is all spelled out in my book, and it's, uh, it's something that Americans need to learn. You know, you, I want to amplify a really important point that you brought up, Leo Holman, and that is Islam is primarily a religion at, to, to a degree, but it is so much more than a religion because it is a governmental system and a legal system. Our First Amendment to the Constitution protects the religions in our country when they behave like religions. So in other words, whether you're Christian or Jewish or, or whatever you are, as long as you go and pray in your, your house of worship, uh, that's what's protected by the First Amendment. What is not protected by the First Amendment is that migration from pure religion into the realm of government, such as you mentioned in Minneapolis area where the Somalis have taken over an entire ward where they they have what is essentially a no-go zone uh, like they have in many areas in Europe where it is not really part of the native country anymore. And, and that is what is not part of the First Amendment. The First Amendment is, does not allow a religion to become a legal entity, a government legal entity. There is no protection for that in the United States Constitution. Right. Uh, you drive through parts of Dearborn, Michigan, or Hamtramck, Michigan, and it's hard to even find a sign that's in English anymore. It's all in Arabic. Uh, and it really is astonishing to drive through there and, and, and have to pinch yourself uh, almost to, to remind yourself that you're still in America. And it just goes back to that uh, lack of expectation that we talked about earlier uh, of assimilation. And uh, you talk about the freedom of religion. So much can be done in this country. Uh, so much can be accomplished by a religion that is that is seeking to expand itself on terms that are not friendly to the Constitution by wrapping itself in the Constitution itself. Uh, let me give you an example. Uh, 
there is a case going on right now in Michigan. You may have heard about it. Uh, it was the first arrest under uh, a federal law that makes female genital mutilation illegal. This was a law passed in 1996 by Congress. And uh, here we are in 2017, uh, all these years later, and we're getting the first arrest under this law. That in itself might seem a little curious to some, given that we've had exploding Muslim population in this country over that same time span. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The rights to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. Everything. 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 Everything going to be all right this morning. <laughs>